Hey, this is William Padilla Brown, and you're listening to The Probiotic Life. This podcast is where we explore the intricate relationships between human health, soil health, and ecological systems. Join me now for another exploratory conversation on the probiotic life. Welcome, welcome, one and all, once again to The Probiotic Life. I'm your host, Ben Klenner. Today, I'm excited to share with you an interview with William Padilla-Brown of Mycosymbiotics. Uh, He is a mycologist, artist, permaculturalist, and entrepreneur. If you check out his website, mycosymbiotics.blog, you'll find this quote up the top there. Homeostasis will only be achieved via symbiosis with local systems. And I thought that quote is a good way to frame this podcast today. So if you sort of think about it in terms of symbiosis with local systems. So um, yeah, join us as William shares a bit about his journey, uh, which leads us through a, a fascinating dialogue about mindsets, about community Uh, permaculture, mycology, creative expression. We even talk about psychedelic experience and really go into culture. So it's really interesting to hear some of the threads uh, that keep coming up in the different podcasts, in this tapestry of podcasts. And And I'm interested to hear about what sort of threads do you hear? What are you picking up? What are, what are some of the things that resonate for you? Um, and what are some of the things that don't resonate? Because I'm actually really interested in bringing you more of what you want to hear. And uh, if that fits in line with the, the probiotic life um, as we evolve what this means, uh, yeah, I'd love to hear, hear from you. And I'd like to thank everyone who is supporting us in some way or form. And if you want to support us, the first thing you can do right now is invest two minutes of your time and give us a rating and review. I'm sure you've probably listened to two minutes of this already. Give that time, invest it into giving us a rating and review. We would love that. So um, we're going to get onto the interview, but before we do, I've got a little treat for you because our guest, William Padilla-Brown, is also a hip-hop artist. And I'd love to share one of his songs with you. It's called Rose Hips, and I'm going to play the whole thing at the end of the show. Um, and I'll have the link to that and all the mentioned links in the show notes. But here's a little, little taster of it as we roll on to the interview. So, without further ado, William Padilla Brown. Our guest today is William Padilla Brown, and he is a mycosymbiote. He is a uh, mycological expert, as such. Um, 
a entrepreneur and an artist as well. So welcome to the show, William. Thanks for having me. Uh, so I've been uh, connected th- with you through Facebook, followed some of the stuff that you're doing, and um, I first found out about you as the cordyceps guy. Mm-hmm. So do you want to you want to um, share with us a little bit about how you got into uh, cordyceps? Um, sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been interested in mushrooms for a while, and um, just through my uh, work with with mushrooms in general, uh, working with uh, doing my business, Mycosymbiotics, I uh, started a mushroom festival in 2015. And at my first mushroom festival in 2015, one of my friends found a wild specimen of Cordyceps militaris during one of the forays and offered it to me. And I got, I was super excited about it uh, because prior to working with mushrooms, I was really into nutrition and I did know some of the uh, ben- nutritional and medicinal benefits of the cordyceps mushroom. So um, I took that mushroom home and I cloned it and I looked all over the internet to see if there was any uh, instructions or guides to cultivating it. Um, but I couldn't find anything in English. So um, I just worked at it and watched a lot of foreign YouTube videos and collaborated with my friend uh, Ryan Paul Gates from Terrestrial Fungi in Warren, Michigan. And uh it took me about like six months uh, before I was able to start getting them into cultivation. And then after that, I uh, wrote a book on cultivating cordyceps, which was one of the first uh, English guides on cultivating cordyceps in the world. Very cool. So before that, it was in, where, where's the knowledge base come from? Um, the first cordyceps cultivation began in Thailand in the 80s. Um, and since then, it's spread across uh, Southern Asia, China, uh, Japan, uh, Korea, Vietnam. Um, and it's really only cultivated over there right now. Um, there's only a few people in the United States that are cultivating them. And then through uh, the groups that I've created and the information that I've disseminated, I've been seeing more people cultivating them in Europe and um, some people in South America and Mexico. So it's really cool. Uh, and even Canada. So it's really cool to see it spreading now. Oh, very interesting. So, you know, that's that's very um, quite parallel to, I'm a big proponent of Korean natural farming. And obviously mm-hmm. it comes from Korea um, but spread through uh, Japan and all of Southeast Asia. And so uh, the, the first English translation was from um, Korean to um, English in India. So it was sort of like Indian English. So you read that PDF and it's like, oh, I sort of get the idea, but it seems like there's a bit <laughs> of an evolution there, isn't there? Oh, yeah, Totally. So I guess before we get too detailed, share with us a bit of your story. I mean, so you're in North Carolina. Are you from North Carolina? Well, yeah. Originally, I was born in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Um, my my father was in the military, and my mom works for the uh, work does foreign affair work for the Department of Agriculture. Um, so I've always been moving. So I I uh, I claim a blank state. I'm not really like. I can't say I'm really from somewhere because I didn't really grow up here. I grew up just moving around uh, uh, pretty much around the world um, most of my childhood. I, I guess I would say Pennsylvania is my home. That's where that's where I started my family. That's where I uh, started my business. And that's where I lived for 
off and on for the most part of my life. Yeah, definitely. I relate to that um, being born in Perth and growing up in Vancouver. I would say that, you know, my formative years, my teenage years were in Vancouver. So I feel more Canadian than I do Australian sometimes. Well, actually most of the time, um, except I have an Aussie accent. So where would you say are some of these uh, formative experiences, some of the things that sort of really got you on the path that you're headed today? Um, well, I dropped out of school whenever I was attending the Taipei European School um, when I was living in Taipei, Taiwan. And that's kind of when I started to take my education into my own hands. I was uh, 16 years old and I just felt like I wasn't gaining anything that I needed from school anymore. Not that it wasn't like a good school or anything or not that I hadn't been in good education programs. It's just traveling so so often that going through different curriculum and then kind of figuring out who I was as a person, I realized that I was uh, more interested in things that I wasn't learning at school. So um, around that time is when I started to um, just study things that I was interested in myself. And uh, from there, I moved to Pennsylvania and started living on my own when I was 17. And um, around that time, started getting very, very interested in uh, holistic lifestyle choices, um, like different nutritional uh, um, practices and um, growing my own food. Um, So I started gardening and um, working with permaculture. And around the time I was um, 18, 19, um, I was very involved in permaculture and started to realize that the people in the permaculture community that I was active in in central Pennsylvania uh, didn't really know much about mushrooms. So um, I, I took it upon myself to be that person. And, um, that's when I really started learning more about mushrooms. Interesting. Okay. So let's just, uh, focus in there for a second. You took it upon yourself to be that person. What, what sort of motivated you to be like, I'm, I'm going to share this stuff. What, what was the sort of, um, underlying either mindsets or things that happened there? Well, I was witnessing the evolution of permaculture in my area. And understanding that permaculture is a whole systems design science, I was really anticipating um, information that would connect the whole, the entirety of the systems that we were working with. And when people weren't able to inform me about mushrooms and algae, and a lot of people didn't know that much about insects and things of that nature, I, I kind of questioned the and the the holistic properties of the permaculture systems that we were working with if there was so much uh so many different components that we were unaware of as far as like biological agricultural permaculture goes so um i i i really had a desire to be an educator as i saw my mentors before me um creating a life for themselves working with permaculture and um and things of that nature and i really didn't want to go about a traditional way of, of, of working here in the, in the U S and, um, I, I saw opportunity to be doing something unique, working with mushrooms and be able to be, um, that mushroom teacher for that, for that region, uh, where I was living. Mm, Very cool. It sounds like, um, it's been a bit of a journey and a, and a, a process, uh, of, your mindset. So when did you really start thinking about like, yeah, I'm going to make this my business? 
Um, in 2014, end of 2014 and going into 2015 is whenever I decided that I really wanted to make it my business. I had like, I taught a mushroom class and I made more money in one hour than I had ever even like, I had, I made more money, money in one hour than I was making at two, working two weeks as a server at that time. So I was just like, I quit. I'm, I'm not working this. I'm not working for the man anymore. I'm just going to start working for myself, which was might not have been the best decision because I definitely was broke for a while. I didn't really plan it out. I was just like, oh, I'm done with this and just immediately quit without having a solid set of plans to work off of. But um, I'm glad I threw myself out there and kind of like had to figure it out from there. Um, so I really started to work at it as a business. Um, I started to cultivate gourmet and medicinal mushrooms and uh, provide them to market. I started to work with local foragers who... Uh, trained me in mushroom identification as I helped them learn about mushroom cultivation, um, created a really nice community. Um, and I mean, just working through the festival that I created and meeting all the people in my area that were interested in it really helped to, um, push me, uh, and what I knew further, um, just by uh, connecting with all those people and, and under and getting to understand what, what they were doing and what they knew. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you really created that, community around you and it's more than just uh fungi but it's you're sort of uh centralized around fungi and uh, i'm assuming it's cordyceps that you're you're mainly focusing on um cordyceps is is what i'm mainly focusing on at this point um i had to kind of like hone it in um as i was doing my mushroom business out in pennsylvania i was also practicing permaculture and I, I teach permaculture, I teach algae cultivation, I teach insect rearing, and I was working on all of those things. I had a couple of different uh, gardens that I was working around the community um, where we're growing food in, on different properties and then uh, bringing it all to market. So I was growing all uh, different uh, vegetable crops and fruits um, and then foraging all these different things and then creating systems of composting and then using the compost for the, the food that we were growing and making compost from our mushrooms that were processed by insects. And it was just a whole bunch of stuff. And I was like growing algae in the mushroom farms for uh, CO2 and our oxygen exchange for air exchange. And I, I was, I was starting to become overwhelmed with all of the things that I was doing. I wasn't receiving the support that I needed there. Um, so I figured it'd be important to just focus on one thing and may, uh, be able to make that, uh, produce the income that I needed to then venture out and, and uh, be comfortable working on those other things without having to struggle. So that's why I started focusing on cordyceps. For sure. I think that's sort of every, or at least most um, entrepreneurs sort of struggle is focusing on one thing and, and following that through rather than, I don't know, for me, and just jump from thing to thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, so you, you got into the cordyceps, but now I see it's interesting. We just interviewed um, Peter McCoy not too long ago and that podcast has just gone up. Um, what I love about what he's done is it's, it's about the community. It's about the art. It's about what I would consider, you know, the probiotic life of creating life around you. And I see that similar in your, uh, what you're doing. Uh, Cause you, um, you're an artist as well. How do you, I guess, how do you think about that as a holistic sort of part of your life? How do I think about 
like uh, mushroom cultivation and community um, and in involving other people that are, you know, doing their own things in there? It's, a, it's an open question. Uh, I really, I, I don't know. I, I go about it with uh, an open source kind of mindset. Like as I, as I do this work and as I develop different cultivation techniques and work with different mushrooms, I'm always thinking about how I can develop it to be more applicable for people that actually need it. Um, I, I'm, I grow cordyceps, but I mostly teach for a living. So I'm always like traveling all around the country, um, teaching people. And I, I really love teaching in inner cities to inner city youth because I really think it's important that we push, uh, better ways of income, uh, uh, of making income. And, um, and I mean, and then every year I host this festival, um, to try and help to develop more ecological literacy in the communities. Um, prior to like working with mushrooms and working with permaculture and all this kind of stuff, I just only used to make hip hop and rap music. So I was involved with a whole different community, but keeping with that, and then moving into this kind of lifestyle, I've been able to introduce a lot of people um, that might not have found interest in these kinds of things otherwise. That's cool. So like cross-pollination. Totally. Awesome. Yeah, so I just try and like use my ability to um, integrate with different communities readily um, to transfer information into different communities. And um, I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, um, started getting into permaculture over here in Western Australia, and there there is uh, quite a community. I I never felt like I really fit in, but I feel like I I am connected to that the whole permaculture idea and movement. But I think it's great to see that um, cross pollination. You know, like what people who are always living in the city, working in the city. Um, I really like that idea of just connect. I think everything's connected like the, like the mycelium anyways. And, and so when we get to do that, when we get to really cross-pollinate, share ideas, um, share inspiration, then um, I think it all works better. Uh, so I, I'd like to ask you, where, where do you get your inspiration from? Um, I draw a lot of inspiration from my son. Um, I really... I, I find so much beauty in his innocence and the way that he sees the world. Um, he's only going to be four years old this summer and uh, there's nothing wrong in the world to him right now. And I really want to help propagate um, more paradise. I, 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 I firmly believe that there's no reason for suffering and, and that there will be an end of suffering. And mm. I believe that we're all so close to it and I, I believe what's, what's necessary is more education and more communication um, and more acceptance. Um, I find that a lot of the issues that I see in the world are due to lack of education and due to la- lack of understanding. A lot of people don't understand each other. A lot of people are afraid of other people's ideals and things of that nature. Um, and then we, we get so caught up in um, just the day-to-day, making sure that we're able to provide for ourselves and with just subtle changes to the way that we live, um, moving towards more of a producer instead of consumer mind state, 
Um, if we can get more people producing things instead of only consuming, I believe that we can create more of a, a paradise kind of, of, uh, of lifestyle for ourselves. And, um, that's what inspires me. I, I, I feel so close to it. I mean, I know people and I personally am in and out of that life. I know people that are completely living in a paradise right now where they have the things that they need and they're able to express themselves readily. Um, they're able to be very creative. Um, and I move in and out of that all the time where I'm in a place where I have what I need, where um, I'm in a community that they're providing for me as I provide for them. Um, and it helps to, uh, for me to be able to express myself and to be more creative when I'm not worrying about surviving and, and uh, things of that nature. So um, the, the creative energy um, that we share as humans is a big part of my inspiration as well. Um, and just being able to uh, help people reach that position where I can see what, what they're trying to express, what I, when I can see what they're uh, um, working on expressing, that's beautiful and that's inspiration to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so how, how do you cultivate that or how do you encourage that in other people, the, the, this artistic expression? Um, exposure to other creation, um, bringing people into uh, experiences where they can be involved with things that they might not have seen before or um, might not have experienced before. Um, cultivating community, cultivating experience. Um, I really, I mean, the fe- my festival is only two months away and that's always been like a big, a big part of it all for me. Just like creating a place where people can share what they have. And then we, we always have people in that haven't seen any of these things before and they're being exposed to all of these new realities and their mind is expanding around the exposure. And, um, I mean, I, that's a perfect way. Just, um, spending more time with people and, and branching out, like branching out of your comfort zone and um, expressing yourself in places um, that you might not have gone or, or introducing yourself to people that, that you might've felt uncomfortable around. Um, I think that's a great way to help create space for, for growth and creative growth. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. And uh, I want to tie it back to what, what you were mentioning before, you know, like, when we're when we're really getting into that day to day grind and um, and working for the man, quote unquote, for the man, uh, it really takes it out of you. I mean, that's that's the experience that I've been through of um, working for other people and working just to pay the bills, but getting to a point in my life where I had a big slap in the face and you know, I injured myself, and then I had time to think what heck do I care about? What am I going to do? Yeah. I mean, um, whenever, whenever you are working in that, like that day-to-day grind, like trying to uh, keep up with everything, it can be exhausting to try and put yourself into a point of, of putting something out and like, uh, creating something. Um, you're more taking in, you know, like you're taking in whatever the experience is, is that at your work, and you're putting out most of your energy to respond to to that, and then a lot of times people, whenever they're not working, they don't want to be exerting it anymore. They want to just consume. They want to eat and watch TV, or um, I don't know, whatever else people do. They want to to take things in. So 
Um, I do think it, it it's important that, and, and a lot of times from what I've seen, people do have some life-changing event that kind of switches them to see that there is something else and that it might be more beneficial for them to be creative. But I'm also seeing like a lot of young people um, that have grown up seeing so many people as creators and looking up to so many creators um, that that's just what they want. Like they want to work for themselves just off the bat. So, I mean, I really do have a lot of hope moving forward that uh, we will see more of that kind of thing in the world. For sure. Yeah. You know, it it reminds me of, that's what the internet is so great at is connect everyone like the mycelium, you know, with, um, you know, the whole idea about the technology in the next five years is going to allow, I think it's like another 1.5 or 2 billion people to be online. That's a whole lot of knowledge and resources and inspiration there rather than getting it from, you know, the traditional um, academic methods. Oh, yeah. I often tell people in my classes that I'm a graduate of YouTube University. <laughs> um, it's, been so, it's been so beneficial, the internet in general. I mean, once I dropped out of high school, I learned almost everything on the internet. It wasn't until I was around 18 years old that I started to attend uh, agricultural conferences and um, science conference, scientific conferences and uh, things of that nature to uh, learn from people that I sought out on the internet. I, I would find these people on the internet posting on social media or posting videos online. And then I would read their books, read their material, and then actually go see them um, in person to, to further my knowledge by asking them questions. So I, I think it, I think the internet is one of the ultimate tools besides the actual human form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it is not the be all and end all. Um, so you learned, you've learned lots of stuff from the internet and from actually connecting with people so sort of on the on the parallel to that, what would you say are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned from nature, from um, the fungi, from, yeah, just being out in nature or connecting to nature in general? Some of the biggest lessons that I've learned, um, to be humble. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm constantly just in awe and humbled by nature and by the intricacies and the symbiosis and all of the interconnectedness. It's just some, some people will say it makes them feel small, but it makes me feel purpose. It makes me feel like I am here for a reason. I'm here to be, to, to serve my function. Um, I've been, uh, very interested in DNA as I've become interested in biology. And I believe that DNA is just as much a part of nature as a flower blooming. I mean, the organisms we see as we experience biological nature here, it's just, um, it's DNA expressing itself. It's a language. And I another great lesson I've learned as we continue down that road is um, that l- Biological nature and experiencing nature here is like reading a book. It's all very symbolic. Um, And this is a message I've been trying to get across for years as I slowly develop a better language in my own to express what I've experienced, that all of the organisms as they're expressing their DNA are telling us a story. They're giving us the information that we need to be able to better navigate our nature. Um, 
like flowers are telling us which ones are beneficial and which ones might be poisonous, just as different animals are saying, oh, I'm poisonous or, oh, I'm not. I'm not. And they're, uh, I mean, just in a, another example, uh, kind of like go off on a tangent, but like a lot of people are, a lot of people ask me, how do I always find so many mushrooms when I go foraging? Um, I, I, I figured people would just think I wander around the woods and, and stumble upon mushrooms, but it's more of reading the nature and going directly to the mushrooms because the way that everything's set up, the way that everything is expressing itself is telling you where they're going to be. So there's just levels to that. And I believe, I believe as a human being, um, the human form is the ultimate scientific tool. And I believed we're more designed to um, utilize natural symbols as a language, uh, more so than uh, auditory language. So, I mean, those are some of the more, more powerful lessons that I've learned from, from uh, playing around outside. Yeah, for sure. That, that's just like blowing my mind right now, Will. It's like I know that at certain points in my life I've, I've um, really been in tune with nature. Like I was working just off of Vancouver Island working – I had a summer camp, did that for four summers. And you get to learn, you know, like working on the water, you need to know the tides, um, you know, which way the wind's blowing, all that sort of stuff. And there's this subtle sort of like knowledge. I mean, it, maybe it is definable, but n- not on a day-to-day level when you're just doing stuff, but you, you, you learn to observe and there's this subtle knowledge that sort of, uh, I don't know. To to me, that's the intersect between the the physical and the spiritual realm. You know, there's 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 stuff there that's like sort of just outside of your um awareness, or at least conscious awareness. I totally understand. Mm. Okay, so let, let's let's go there into consciousness. Where do you think that um, fungi? You know, you're talking about poisonous, edible, but then there's a whole psychedelic side of it, the, the um, you know, psilocybin mushrooms. Where do you think that fits in and and how, how should we be relating to that? Um, well, as far as psychedelics go, um, I believe they're a powerful tool for some people. Um, just like any medicine, I don't believe it's for everybody. Mm. But I, I have witnessed in my own experience... Well, I'll start, I'll start before I get to that, what I was about to say. Um, I never went out on hikes. I never went out camping. I didn't know anything about nature or the woods or anything like that until I was about 18 years old. Um, my parents both grew up in cities and urban areas, and they raised me in cities and urban areas, and I didn't really have a connection to nature. Um, and then around the time I was 17 or 18, uh, I was introduced to psychedelic medicine, and some of my first visualizations were seeing trees and also seeing that organic debris that fell on the ground turned into soil. So there are two things that I never really noticed in a whole 17, 18 years of being alive. It was astounding to me. I'm like, wow, there's trees. I just saw them as like green stuff off the side. And then I was like, wow, things that fall on the ground turn into soil. And it's such simple concepts, but there's so many people that get so caught up in the urban landscape that it just becomes um it becomes a blur it becomes like things that it just doesn't even it doesn't even matter so bringing it back to where i where i was starting i'm i've i've witnessed through my own profound psychedelic experiences of 
understanding myself and understanding the world around me through those medicines um, that, and then expressing what I've learned as I teach to these crowds of people that I've been teaching to, that people will go through their own kind of trips through the experiences that I've had. So I'd, I, I would say that it's not for everybody because I do know people that are not able to handle those experiences and it might be kind of unsettling for them. But there are people that have had those experiences and that go around expressing themselves. And through the expression of those experiences, people can have their own trips because it's it's all connected. Just like our consciousness is all connected. Those experiences are very valid um, and the lessons that they teach are very valid. So I I believe that those substances are there for a reason. I believe they're there with purpose and with intention. And I do believe that as a human and even, even just as a biological organism, as a higher organism, I mean, we see this with elephants. Elephants look to their elders to be able to find sources of water during drought because there's the elder elephants that have gone through those experiences before and know where to go. Um, and I've, I believe we're slowly kind of losing our elder wisdom uh, and as we move into modern culture. But we can always go back to the organisms because there are organisms that have been here way longer than us. And through subtle energies and being able to become aware of subtle energies by kind of like quieting our minds and working with meditation, um, doing yoga, things of that nature, and then working with these plant medicines that have been here for so long. I believe that we can communicate with them as our elders and be able to gain those experiences and that wisdom um, that is necessary to uh, become more aware of ourselves and more aware of our surroundings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As you say that, Will, it reminds me of um, my wife and I talk about we've got a a four-year-old son and a one-year-old daughter and how are we going to – raise them you know there's these things that come up when you start having a family um and looking at all the uh, i think probably all but i know a lot of traditional cultures they have some sort of initiation into adulthood and uh, whether it is using some um substances or not there's a there's a period of like um exile or separation to really have some time to think some time to experience and sometimes time to suffer really and and actually realize that you can come through suffering and come out better on the other other end and uh, I really relate to that with what you're saying is um, I, I myself have never um, done mushrooms or anything but it sounds like from what people talk about it's actually it can be a, a process of like that where you come out the other side realizing that you are uh, more connected or stronger to the world around you. Totally. Um, I mean, I'm totally there with that. Um, I I personally didn't feel like I became a man until I had such experiences. I felt like I had learned so much about myself and learned so much about the world at that point that I was really stepping into the next phase of my life. Um, I really like didn't have a good relationship with my parents after dropping out of school and going off on my own in the world. Um, but that kind of was my, my time of exile, my time to experience those things. And uh, as I came through on the other side, I now have wonderful relationships with my parents. And 
I feel like a more responsible man in my community and for my family. Wow. Yeah. So, so you have a, a real sense of like uh, social responsibility then as well. Totally. Yeah. That's cool. I'd like to just, uh, I, I don't actually know where to go in this point in the conversation. I'd like to jump into more of what you're doing unless you have more to say on this. Oh, I mean, we can go wherever. I'm, I'm totally down to talk about more about what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'd like to ask you, Will, about what you're doing now. I, I love um, seeing your Instagram feed. Uh, I'm not really a Facebook sort of guy, but on Instagram, you see the cordyceps, you see the, um, the um, spir- is it spirulina that you're growing as well? Um, not at this time, but I have been growing a lot of spirulina off and on. Okay. Um, I was growing, I was growing spirulina this past winter. Yep. And so, so what does your day to day look like at the moment? I, I know that you're, um, getting ready for this event as well. Is it, so what, do you want to share us, share a little bit about the event first and then go into your day to day? Sure. Um, this year is the fourth annual Mycosymbiotics Mushroom and Arts Festival, uh, will be held uh, either in or around Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, and it's a three-day event with camping um, camping and food included in the ticket price. Um, it's a family-oriented event. Uh, we have lots of classes every day. Um, I get my expert uh, um, identifiers out, and we have people doing uh, mushroom walks uh, every day. Last year, I believe we found over 130 species of mushrooms and identified most of them. And... Uh, yeah, we 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 uh, make sure that we know uh, what are the good edibles, and we cook them up and share them with everybody. We usually get food uh, donated from local farmers, um, and we have live music on Friday and Saturday night. Uh, there's usually a big fire. Um, a lot of people get to meet each other and uh, just learn a whole bunch about mushrooms, and um, usually there's live art as well. So it's just a really beautiful experience. Um, I totally recommend it for everybody. Uh, we have all sorts of different people come out and uh, just have a lot of fun, hang out together. Um, so that's what we're prepping, and that's uh, August third through the fifth this year, the first weekend of August. Great. And where where can people get tickets to that? Um, you can find it by searching uh, Mushroom and Arts Festival or Mycosymbiotics Mushroom and Arts Festival, and on Google or on Facebook. Um, if you find it on Facebook, there'll be a link to the tickets there. And if you search it on Google, you can find the Eventbrite page where you can get tickets. Nice. And uh, we'll put a, a link up in the uh, show notes as well. Awesome. So um, on to your day-to-day. What, what does your day-to-day look like? Um, it, it varies depending on what I, um, if anybody's uh, trying to connect or do something. If, if, if I'm just having the day to myself, I typically uh, wake up and uh, drink a bunch of water, eat some breakfast, and um, check my emails maybe – or um, maybe watch a show on TV and then I'll drive out to my farm and uh, I will start prepping cordyceps uh, uh, jars to be sterilized. So I prepare a bunch of substrate, typically doing about 120 um, jars at a time, uh, running through running through our autoclave, uh, multiple autoclaves in uh Sterilize that and inoculate the batches from the previous day. Um, check in on the fruiting room, and then once or twice a week, we're doing harvesting. So, if I need to harvest, I'll take a bunch of jars out of the fruiting room and take them over to um, the kitchen that we're using and harvest a bunch of them. 
uh, dry them, package them up. Um, usually on Monday or Tuesday, I uh, ship out orders because I have an online store and I sell uh, liquid cultures of various mushroom strains for people to start growing. Um, so I typically am shipping out orders before I go to the farm on Monday or Tuesday. So I'll probably do that tomorrow. Yeah, then uh, once I leave the farm, I typically will go go out to eat some food or I'll cook something up. Um, there's usually a lot of cool stuff that goes on in Nashville. So um, after I eat, I'll see if there's anything going on. I might go eat with some friends at a bar or go listen to my friend's DJ. And then um, sometimes, usually like a couple times a month on Friday or Saturday, I'm performing um, at some venue uh, down here in Nashville. And that's just a typical day. Uh, if I'm if I'm in town, um, I do travel a lot. Like at least once or twice a month, I'm out uh, out of Asheville, somewhere else in the country, teaching. Wow! So, but it sounds like you've got a, a pretty good system down of of what you do when you're there. And it sounds like you're pumping out the um, the cordyceps. Oh yeah, we're doing we're doing really good on a on a good rotation. We're harvesting about a pound or uh, a pound or two a week, uh, which is really good. And and so, how do you utilize these? Um, with the cordyceps, uh, we dry them. Um, and then if, uh, if you were to get some fruit bodies, I typically recommend making tea. That's one of my favorite ways to consume them. But uh, we're starting to see a lot of people try different things with them. Um, we have people making tinctures with them. Um, also trying them more for culinary purposes. So we have people like rehydrating them and then cooking with them. Um, also, I do sell fresh locally. Um, so uh, we're trying to get more people to work with them culinarily on that level, um, getting the fresh cordyceps and actually cooking with them and putting them into dishes. And then uh, we have the bottom part of the cordyceps, which is like the substrate that they're grown on. It's completely, uh, the fungus has grown through it and fermented it. So it's kind of like a tempeh, except it tastes like way better than tempeh. Um, so we're trying to figure out how to market that a little bit better, but we typically will just cook that up, um, stir fry or cook it up with some eggs or something and, and eat that. It's super delicious. Really? That's so cool. That's, oh, that blows my mind. So what, what are they actually, what's the substrate that you grow them on? Um, I grow them on supplemented rice. Um, we add starch and sugars and um, mineral and vitamin uh, supplements. And yeah, that's pretty much it. We just create our like liquid broth and put the rice in and then sterilize it and it all cooks up and then we let the fungus eat it. Wow. So, okay, cool. All right, because I'm just getting into um, growing mushrooms myself. I just made a little still air box and uh, got some um, Phoenix oyster mushrooms and I just got some uh, uh, agar from from someone else of some of the – what are those, pink oyster mushrooms? Those ones? Yeah, those are cool. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm very interested. Do you want to get a little bit more technical of how you actually do it or is it like a trade secret? I mean, it's not a trade secret. There's a lot of people putting up videos and a lot of people like going around teaching. And I mean, I have an ebook out if you're specifically trying to get, uh, learn how to grow cordyceps mushrooms. But um, um, there's like a, I could go on and do a whole podcast about just <laughs> mushroom cultivation techniques. All right. Well, maybe, maybe let's, let's bring it, keep it a bit um, broader. Tell us a bit about cordyceps. Why, uh, what, what's the benefit of cordyceps? All right, so cordyceps, um, I like to think of them as like a DNA mushroom. They're very protective of our DNA and RNA. They also produce almost all of the nucleotide bases necessary for DNA and RNA synthesis, uh, which is something our body spends a lot of energy on. 
uh, is getting those amino acids and nucleobases uh, to, to synthesize our DNA um, and RNA. Uh, they also, um, cordyceps has a, uh, produces a compound called cordycepin, uh, which is so molecularly similar to adenosine triphosphate or ATP, mm. um, which is the cellular energy, like it's the currency of our cells. It's the energy that we use on the smallest level. And our body also expends a lot of energy to create ATP. Um, so cordyce- uh, cordycepin is so similar to ATP that it can go into our mitochondria and perform or provide us energy uh, on a cellular level. Wow. So it's really good for energy. Um, a lot of athletes uh, u- utilize it. A lot of people that are working out at the gym will utilize it. Uh, as a pre-workout or post-workout, but it definitely pumps you up with energy. It's it's uh, very good for respiratory health, um, and it's been uh, known to uh, and research to help increase the amount of oxygen that our body can uptake. So um, this is really good. Also, if you're if you're an athlete, also if you live at high altitudes or plan on uh, hiking up to high altitudes, um, it can help you to take up more oxygen and where the air is thinner. And uh, it also has been researched and shown to be uh, an effective antiretroviral, um, specifically uh, with AIDS, HIV, and malaria. So it's an it's in Southern Asia. There are cert- there are people utilizing it as an effective treatment uh, for AIDS and HIV, which is something we really can't get into in the United States because of our uh, FDA and things of that nature. We're not really supposed to be saying like herbs and mushrooms and stuff like that can treat diseases, but um, there are people utilizing cordyceps too. Uh, um, kind of, I mean, they're still utilizing it as an adjunct therapy. Like people are still going to their doctors, but um, people are treating uh, these diseases with, with cordyceps. Other than that, I mean, it's one of the more, more powerful um, male and female aphrodisiacs in the world. Um, so there's like a lot of aphrodisiacs that work um, better for males or work better for females. And then depending on your body type um, and things of that nature. But cordyceps is kind of like all around uh, very powerful aphrodisiac. Um, so that's really fun. This is just blowing my mind. So there's pretty much you just you should just take them no matter what. Yeah. You just should just take them. Yeah, I'm telling uh, it's like a gram a day. A gram a day is will keep you happy. <laughs> awesome. And you want to get a, get into a little bit, I think it's cordyceps militaris, right? That they grow out of ants. Is that right? Um, cordyceps militaris, we find more growing out of uh, butterfly and moth pupae here, uh, mostly moth pupae. Um, but cordyceps militaris is one of the most broad uh, um, cordyceps mushrooms in the world as it will grow on 32 different species of insects where mostly... Uh, almost all other cordyceps only grow with one type of insect. So uh, you can find cordyceps militaris growing from beetles and beetle larvae and beetle pupae and also butterfly uh, larvae, pupae, and uh, adult form. So uh, you can find cordyceps militaris on a lot of different types of, of insects. Wow. Okay. And and um, I was reading somewhere, is that quite hard to clone or it it doesn't necessarily clone the same? It has different expressions. Is that right? Um, it's not too hard to clone. Um, as long as you don't get like, I mean, I get anxiety when I'm like threading needles or like working with little tiny intricate things. Um, so like as long as you can deal with like scraping tissue out of a very, very tiny organism, then you, you're able to clone it, but it can be kind of uh, difficult for people with like shaky hands and stuff like that. <laughs> okay. Yep. Uh, well, I'd like to ask you, William, what, you know, the probiotic life is all about creating life. 
around you. And we, um, we've focused a lot on soil because I'm like super keen on soil. Um, and then we've touched on human health a little bit. What would you like to add to the conversation of creating life around you to living a probiotic life? Um, have you ever seen my website, mycosymbiotics.blog? Uh, yeah, I had a look at that. Yep. On the top on that website, it says, there's a quote that I like came up with when I was like 19. Um, it says, homeostasis will not be achieved without symbiosis with local organisms or local systems. Um, and as far as creating life around you, I believe that's like, that's like a mantra for me. Um, like create homeo, create homeostasis with local systems. Like just keeping that in my mind. Um, because I believe that is one of the best ways to create life around you, um, is to become connected with the people around you, become connected with the organisms around you, become connected with the food around you. And through that, understanding where your food comes from, understanding the insect life around you, understanding what edible plants are around you, understanding what poisonous plants are around you and edible mushrooms and toxic mushrooms. And through that understanding and through becoming uh, symbiotic in that sense, you can kind of bring yourself to a heightened state of of creation, just like we we're talking about earlier, just like alleviating the the struggle and and be, and putting yourself in a place where you have the things that are nece- are needed uh, readily available to you to be able to express yourself better. I believe once you can connect in that way, um, you start to connect with all the people, just like I was saying. And then you then you know your plants and you know your mushrooms. You can uh, maybe go forage or maybe cultivate those things and. Um, be able to get them to the people that will be able to utilize them best. And oftentimes you'll be reciprocated your energy because that's kind of how things work. So maybe you go out and forage a lot of edible mushrooms now that you've become uh, developed more of an understanding. Now that you've developed a symbiosis with those local mushrooms, you can go forage a lot of edible medicinal mushrooms and maybe take them to market now that you have those human connections um, and kind of spread it out that way. And maybe you get money. Maybe people will trade you things that you need. Um, and then you just become more integrated with, uh, with, with those systems and you'll, you'll slowly start to see more life around you. I mean, I can, I can speak to that from a personal standpoint because that's what I did. Uh, I slowly became more aware of, of the things around me. I slowly became developed symbiotic relationships with those things around me and we provided for each other. So um, I'm out there finding these mushrooms, I'm picking them, I'm spreading their spores, I'm educating more people about them so that they can propagate better into this world. Um, and then I'm also providing those people with um, nutritious, healthy food, um, not only mushrooms, but the plants and things that I was cultivating. Um, so slowly I put myself in a position where I had a lot of food around me all the time. I had a lot of, of people around me that I could um, re- uh, relate to and communicate ideas, share ideas with um, which helped to elevate me to a place of, of more creation, but also put me in a place where I was surrounded by life, um, which is which is very beautiful and uh, kind of what we all want, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that to me, that's a, that's a great picture of the probiotic life. So, if if you extrapolate that out, what where would you see? What's your vision for say? A hundred years from now, what what do you see? Like, just dream a little bit. What what do you see in a hundred years if if we take this on board? Um, I see a lot of like interconnectedness. I see 
I see a lot of like biotechnological like functions and biotechnological systems. I see a lot of like, um, I, I believe right now a lot of the technology that we utilize is like more for like that outward thing that I was telling you about earlier. Like how a lot of people just, I mean, uh, that inward thing, like a lot of people are just consuming, like a lot of people just want to see TV. A lot of people want to play video games and a lot of our technology is like not so human oriented, but I do see a move towards like um, more technological systems that are are beneficial for human expression um, and are more beneficial for the environment. Um, I see more utilizing um, computers in in sync with nature, um, maybe tapping into mycelial networks and uh, utilizing them to understand the health of the forest and um, to be able to better ma- manage our forests that we have left and help to develop them a little bit better. I do see more people becoming aware of nature and, and developing more of a respect for nature. Um, and I see a lot of people with the desire to be closer to nature rather than living in the cities. And I do know that cities will continue to grow, but I believe with that kind of mindset, we're going to see a lot more of natural systems integrated into cities, which is totally possible. I see buildings with algae panels on the outside that help to cool down the building as the algae collects the sunlight that would be beaming on that building, also helping to create more fresh air in that area where there's so much CO2 being produced, and then also creating food or uh, biological textiles or biofuel to be utilized by that building and keeping things in uh, closed-loop systems where, where units are providing energy for themselves, be it a home or an apartment building or an office space. Um, there's no reason why any structure shouldn't be able to produce all of the energy or collect all of the energy uh, needed to sustain that that space. So I see a lot of, of our economic uh, um, pull being more focused on on sustainable, resilient systems versus these non-sustainable, destructive systems that we've become so accustomed to. Um, I see a detachment from these negative antibiotic systems, so mm-hmm. to speak, against against life um, because people are just becoming aware. And um, it's becoming kind of sexy to be uh, involved with these things. Like mushrooms are becoming sexy. Like foraging is becoming sexy. Holistic lifestyles are becoming sexy. So like that's what a lot of people want, especially growing up in such a consumer uh, culture. Um, a lot of people are just trained to to desire what's sexy and what's cool. So as these things become more uh, culturally acceptable, um, we'll see a larger amount of people uh, um, find desire in these things. And through that desire, we'll see markets shift um, because markets are only appealing to the consumer base. So as long as people want trash, that's what will be provided. But as more people start to want more beauty and want more nature in their lives, we'll we'll see a lot of the existing market shift to fill that demand. So I do have a bright outlook on the future um, because mm-hmm. as I, I, I had a kind of grim outlook on the future as I stayed in my little hometown, so to speak, um, where a lot, where you see a lot of people that just are stuck in their hometown and never really leave and, no, and don't have as much experience. They have a very limited uh, consciousness as they've been just stuck in the same system, stuck in these same processes. But as I've traveled, 
I see more people traveling. I see more people exposing themselves to new experiences. And everywhere I go, I see things that I want to see in the world. I see people actively working towards the more beautiful world that our hearts know is possible. So um, I really do have a lot of hope uh, um, that we're moving towards something greater. For sure. Oh, you're just getting me fired up right now. <laughs> it's sort of <laughs> sort of a shame to finish the end of the podcast now, but um, it's probably a, a good sort of note to end it on. Before we wind down though, uh, William, love for you to share with us how people can uh, connect with you, uh, buy your book, uh, any websites you want to share. Sure thing. Um, I'm, I really love Instagram. So if anybody wants to follow me on Instagram, uh, my handle is mycosymbiote. That's M-Y-C-O-S-Y-M-B-I-O-T-E. Also, if you're interested in checking out any of the music I'm doing, uh, you can find my uh, other Instagram handle at it's cosmic music. Um, if you want to purchase my ebook or any of my cultures, or even if you want to buy dry cordyceps uh, from me, uh, you can find all of that at mycoshop.net. Um, for other information, we're going to be uh, updating my website, mycosymbiotics.blog, uh, here shortly. Um, you can also find me on Facebook at William Padilla Brown or uh, Mycosymbiotics. So, oh, and then YouTube, if you want to watch any of my hundreds of YouTube videos, you can find that at Apex Grower. So yeah, that's pretty much it for uh, where you all can find me. Fantastic. And we'll, we'll definitely put your uh, your links up there. So thank you very much, uh, William, for being on the Probiotic Life and thanks for sharing your knowledge with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Much appreciated. I reckon there's a few good takeaways from that one. So thanks again for listening. Thanks, William, for sharing with us. Uh, You can check out what William is doing, uh, Instagram, at mycosymbiote, at It's Cosmic Music. Uh, Check out his website, mycosymbiotics.blog, mycoshop.net, and like he said on YouTube, Apex Grower. Thanks to all who are giving us ratings and reviews. Thank you all for your feedback. Uh, If you wish to collaborate with us, send us a message. Reach out to us. We love to connect. Uh, So to finish up, here is Rose Hips by William Padilla Brown. And until next time, cheers. Tugging on my clothes, scratches all on my ego. Yeah. Tugging on my clothes, scratches all on my ego. Yeah. Tugging on my clothes, scratches all on my ego. That's just how it goes when you're looking for them rose hips. Tugging on my clothes, scratches all on my ego. Yeah. Tugging on my clothes, scratches all on my ego. Yeah. Tugging on my clothes, scratches all on my ego. That's just how it goes. I just wanna love you in the Alps. Mountain. Porcini all up in the basket. Drinking only of the finest glacial melts. Yeah. We can hit them hot springs when we're relaxing. Uh-huh. I'll take you to the place your ancestors built. Yeah. We can look around and talk about the fields. Yeah. I just wanna take you out into a field. Yeah. Look into your eyes, a pinnacle of thrill.
something gorgeous and that's so potent Yeah, I'm caught up in thorns and they got a motive They just wanna be adorned with them luscious rose hips Yeah, rose hips, they be rolling Every single day I'm cruising, I'm making moves And I'm gonna run these cities hopeless, I lose my focus Every single time I notice, pretty and potent I love them rose hips Immaculate hexagons, constructed by blissfully obedient workers Driven by divine feminine energy Facebook at The Probiotic Life, on Instagram, The Probiotic Life, and on our website, theprobiotic.life.